Man, I'm so excited to be bringing the word for you this morning. We've been working with our, our preaching team and Pastor Adam for a couple of weeks on this word. And on Wednesday night, I was hit with something, some sinus demon thing. And all of a sudden, it took my voice away. So I woke up Thursday morning, and I was like a whisper. And Myrna was like, thank you, Jesus. Like her, an- her, her, her prayers were answered that I would, I would be silenced in the house. And then Friday, she says, yes, Lord, thank you. And then Saturday, she started getting a little worried that I was, she's like, you got to preach on Sunday. So I stand before you. I was last service about 80% healed. And then now second service, I'm about 73%. So here we go. Yeah, so 73% healed, man. I, I'm so excited to be here with you guys. My throat is hurting, so please. If you would, if you see me struggling, just shalom. Just take your hand up for me and pray for me. I won't be offended by that at all. And so we're going to be jumping into word today. But last week, Pastor Adam brought a great, great message on degrease. And it was all about being in the world, but not of the world. And how we live in, in a society that we can't help but to get on us. And he, he had this illustration of using this degreaser that he changed. And he's going to patent called Go Jesus. And uh, it's, it's a knockoff of Go Joe. And so... So uh, he said, this is Go Jesus, and he put it on himself, cleaned it. It was awesome. And so I began to look at my life. That word personally challenged me, and I was like, man, i got a lot of greasy spots in my life. Pastor Adam, being Pastor Adam, the anointed holy man that he is, only needs the little bit, the travel size. For me, being a man that's not Pastor Adam, I needed the, uh, the gallon size, and so I got it Amazon Prime to me to be here on Monday, right? And so... <clears throat> So hopefully I'll, I'll be a better guy coming up uh, starting next week as I put Go Jesus in my life. But that was such a, uh, a vivid illustration of what it is to be living in the world. I mean, you can't help but get it on you. You can't help but get dirty with it. And not only that, but all of a sudden it, it gets inside of you also. The world systems, that you begin to operate and compare yourself to what the world says you need to be doing. And, and we got to understand this, that if you were saved and sanctified by Jesus Christ himself through, his, through the, the salvation that he offers us through his grace, then you are a new creation in Christ. No longer do you operate by the principles of the world system, but you operate on kingdom principles. You, 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 you begin to say, I'm a co-heir with Christ. I'm more than a conqueror. All those things now then apply to you. And so you have to begin to operate not as the world does, but as the kingdom does. And we're going to be talking about one of those kingdom principles this morning, and that is humility. Everybody say humility. humility. Look at the person next to you say, I'm more humble than you. I'm more humble than you. I was standing in the back earlier with my good friend Ken Karsich, who, uh, who, who uh, you know, helps patrol to make sure everything stays safe and we can worship Jesus freely. And he was saying, hey, I'm the most humble person I know. And I said, Ken, that's right, buddy. That's okay, but I love you, Ken. And so, uh, but bow your heads with me as we pray and we jump into the Word this morning. Jesus, we love you so much, Father. God, I thank you, Lord, for this word. Lord, I pray that you just, you give my voice some longevity, Father God. You let me project and proclaim your word clearly, Father God. I pray that there's no hearing impaired people in here that are like, I can't hear that, man. But, Father God, that their ears are healed, Father God, even in the midst of all of this, Lord Jesus. We love you, Lord. I pray that we can apply being humble to our lives, Father God. We can see all the blessings that you have when we begin to humble ourselves to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So the key scripture for this morning is James 4, verse 6. And this is what it says here. It says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Pastor Adam says that if you would, if you would memorize the key verse every week for, for, uh, for 52 weeks, and you'd know 52 scriptures by the end of the year. That's awesome. You would know more scripture than most, than most Christians do. And so the key scripture is that right here. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And have you guys ever been opposed by something? Have you ever played a sport and they opposed you? And you'd say, man, my life would be so much easier if you would just let me score. Come on. I was watching the Rangers last night. I'm a huge Rangers fan, major Rangers fan, and they're terrible this year. And I just think it'd be easy if you threw better balls, right? Like, come on, just let them hit it, dude. Come on. We're losing 9-0. Let them get one, right? And so, and so you think about that. Somebody that's opposing you, you're getting frustrated in the midst of it. But he gives grace, and grace is this right here. The undeserved, never-ending, never-failing favor of God. The undeserving favor of God. You don't deserve it. You, you didn't do anything to get it. But he gives it to you as you begin to humble yourself to him. As you begin to say, God, here are my callings. Here are my abilities. Here are everything that I'm good at. Lord, I'll submit this to you. God, I hate that person at work. I, I mean, they're a terrible person. Lord, I give you that situation. Lord, I pray that your favor would be on that as we begin to find the power in humility. See, we need to begin to then give grace in the matter we want to see grace then received to us. We need to have the same grace on people that we desire to see replicated in our lives. i got a few uh, uh, scenarios here, life scenarios. I don't want to read it out to you guys, but I need your help. So when you see it at the end of it, I need you to say grace. Let's practice one, two, three, grace. All right, here we go. So we got a few life scenarios. When, When your car is broke down, and you can't afford to fix it because your baby daddy's behind on child support. What do you need? Grace. That's right. When your cell phone has been shut off because you made a poor life decision and spent your last bit of money on a Redbox movie and tacos, what do you need? Grace. That's right. When you stayed up late night praying for someone in your small group and you're running late to work and you get stopped by one of Cedar Hill's finest, what do you need? That's right. When you send an email out of frustration and pure emotion to your boss telling about all the areas you think they are failing in, what do you need? Grace. Come on, how many of you guys have been there before? See, I need some grace. Yeah. <laughs> Don't raise it too high in case your boss is in the room. You're like, no. When, when, when you forgot your anniversary and planned a fishing trip with the boys on the same weekend, what do you need? grace you need grace you need a pillow and some blankets because you're going to be sleeping on the sofa and then you're going to need a book of chiropractic appointment because you can complain that your back is all messed up because you slept on that sofa you need about a dozen roses and you need to clear your weekend for about six months and get a fresh copy of the honeydew list because that's all you're going to be doing come on how you do that how you forget your anniversary so real real story I just going. my dad loves to hunt and fish right and so much so he'll get so fixated on something right and so my mom has, has elbow surgery for some tennis elbows, some tendonitis she had a week before opening day turkey season, right? And so opening day turkey season, you only get one opening day. You only get one Christmas a year, right? It only comes once a year, and we love it, right? And so, so it's in April, and so she's getting her surgery done. It's on a Tuesday. He says, hey, you going to be good by the weekend? She's like, what do you mean? He's like, well, it's opening day turkey season. Jonathan and I are going to be out hunting. She's like, what are you talking about? You can't leave me here by myself. He's like, no, 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 no. We'll get somebody to come over. And she's like, what are you talking about? She's like, you can't do that. And I was like, man, Dad, we ain't going to go turkey hunting. That's not smart. Come Friday, he's loading up the truck. We're leaving. I was like, Dad, what did you do? He's like, don't worry about your aunt's coming over to take care of your mom. And so that's how I know. He slept on the sofa for about a month. I know that. I know what you need. Don't do that. Operate in wisdom. Don't just be with your wife, bro. 
you can, turkey season, it'll, it'll come again. But, man, your wife in that moment, she needs you. And you got to spend the rest of your life with her every day. And so turkey hunt don't love you like she does. And so I just, just want to challenge you with that. Come on, but we all need grace. We all need grace. We all want grace. When you've messed up so bad and you want them to have favor on you, grace, you're like, look, dude, I don't want to come in there. But at the same time, we don't want to have that grace on people. We want to bring the hammer down on them. Come on, so we need to be able to extend the same grace that we want to see, and that comes through humbleness. We have to come into that situation and say, hey, well, you know what? I'm so right in this. I'm so right. You did that wrong. You messed up, dude. It's your fault. This is my chance to advance over you. You messed up so bad. They come in and say, hey, you know what? I'm going to humble myself. <laughs> Look, dude, how do you think we need to handle this? And you come in with that humility. And that grace, that undeserving, never-ending favor of God begins to fill that space in that moment. Bring healing to that relationship, somebody that you're opposed to, whatever that looks like. But he can be, begin to come in there, and he can begin to mend that and make that situation his. As we read through Scripture, this is what we see here in 1 Samuel chapter 24. You got, you got David. He's not King David quite yet. In, a verse, in chapter 23, excuse me. He, him and Saul are, are at odds. David's been chased out of the kingdom. And he's running from Saul. And Saul's trying to kill him with 3,000 men. If someone was after you with like five dudes, you're like, oh, maybe I can handle this. But with 3,000 people, he wants you dead. You know what I'm saying? Like, dude, you're on the run. And he's got 3,000 people after him. And David's got 600 of his boys with him. And they're about to meet up in this town. And it's going to be the end of David. As you're reading through scripture in chapter 23, you're like, oh, my gosh. Dude, David's about to get it. And it ends with them going around this mountain. And they're coming around the mountain. And David's forces are coming around one side. And Saul's coming around the other. And David's men, 600 of them, to Saul's 3,000, you don't stand a chance. And so as, there, as, there, as it's happening at the end of the chapter, it says that Saul gets word that the, that the Israel is being attacked by the Philistines. And he must go and defend the city. And David is spared in that moment. See, David had been prophesied by the prophet Samuel that he would be king of Israel. He slayed Goliath, went back to, to, to watch the sheep as the favor of God was lifting off of Saul. And as, as he's leading the, the, the entire nation of Israel, depression, stress, all those things begin to set on him. He calls David in to play the harp for him. Him and David begin to build this relationship. And, and then all of a sudden, Saul would turn against him and hate David and try to, try to put him in the wall with a spear. And he begins to be so actively against David because he knows that David is going to be the next one to take the throne. And he's trying to get rid of that threat. He's out to get How you guys ever felt like someone's out to get you at work? Someone's out to get you, you know, in your friend circle at dance with your kids and your sports and things like that. Someone's out to get you. And that's the way David feels with this. David ends up going to this city called Engedi and they're hanging out there. And his men, 600 of them, are in a cave. And this is in, verse, in chapter 24. And they're in this cave. And the Bible says that Saul enters the cave to relieve himself. He had to go to the bathroom, right? And so that's a real thing. And, and Saul didn't have what we have now. He wasn't scrolling his Instagram page. He wasn't checking Facebook. He wasn't doing any of those things. Maybe Saul had scrolls and he's reading the Israeli Gazette. Right? And he's opening up his scroll. I don't know what he was doing. But he's hanging out there. And this is what happens here. We're going to pick it up in, in verse 4. Thanks, Sean. 
This is what it says here. The men of David said to him, here is the day which the Lord said to you. Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. David, is, Saul is sitting down in this cave doing the do. And his men see him walk in there to behind him. Could you imagine you going to a porta potty? Porta potty is a sketch as it is. But all of a sudden the back opens up and someone grabs you out. That's the worst. You're supposed to feel safe in there. You're supposed to feel private. You know what I'm saying? That's why he's got a door, right? And so, you know what I'm saying? And all of a sudden, man, you're sitting there. Dude, and they're looking at him. David, this is what you prayed for. Bro. His sword is on the floor. He ain't even wearing it. You know, it's like, come on, dude. This is what you've prayed for. Come on, this is what David does. Verse 4 keeps reading. It says that David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He didn't miss. He did it on purpose. He didn't say, oh, bro, I went for the neck, but I caught his robe. No, this is what happens here. And David arose, excuse me, in verse 5. And afterward, David's heart struck him. Because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He felt bad about it. This is what he prayed for. God, I pray that you would give me Saul. And the Lord gave him clearance. He says, hey man, in that moment when it comes, you do as you seem fit. He had the favor. He had the blessing. But David knew something. David knew that Saul was established by God himself. And that if God wanted him removed, then God would have to take him out, not himself. David understood that. David knew that, God, that Saul was appointed by God himself. And if that God wanted him removed, he would do it. And this is what it says here. As we keep reading in verse 6. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. How many of you guys have that friend that said, well, if you can't do it, I will? Right? How many of you guys have that? Oh, you ain't going to punch him. I'll punch him. Like, give me the matches. Give me the gasoline. Me, I got cousins like that, right? You know, Come on, if you're Latino, you got cousins like that. Hey, I ain't scared to go back to jail again, right? It's like, dang. Primo, I got you. It's like, all right, dude. Got it right? So it's like, what? And that's what, these, that's what these men were to David. It's like, David? I'll cut his head off. Lord said, you can't. I will, right? And so it's like, you be the king. That's okay. I'll be the mercenary. And that's what, but David says, no, man, we can't do it. We can't do it. This is the Lord's anointed. This is who God has set in place. God, far be it from me to be the one that enthrones him and all of a sudden I bring a curse on me because this isn't the way the Lord wanted it. David knew that he would humble himself before the Lord. See, David knew, had this confidence that the Lord was working things out for him. He knew that if Samuel came to his house knocking and his dad answered the door and brought all his brothers out and didn't even think to call him and Samuel knew, surely you have one more and brought him out. David knew that if God brought him out from the field when no one else even knew his name, that surely God would deliver him from that. God knew, David had this security that if God delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, surely he'll bring me out of this situation out from under Saul. He knew that if he stood and he faced Goliath in the face and he rose victorious, that surely God would remove Saul in this situation. David said, hey, look, Lord, I lay this to you. I give you this situation situation where you do with it as you will he had security in that he could come before the lord and humbly and say lord look i give you what i want most 
I desire to be the king of Israel in which you've called me to be. I give this to you. Come on, how many of you guys, if you're standing in front of your dreams, everything you've ever wanted, and all you have to do is do so, send that email. Bro, you've got all the incriminating evidence right there. Do it. Send it. All you have to do is speak up and expose them. But you know, dang, that ain't the way it should go down. That's what David is looking at in this moment. At the end of the chapter, this is what happens here in verse 16. David comes out of the cave, and Saul's there with his 3,000 men. And David emerges with his 600 dudes, and they come out. And this is what happens here in verse 16. It says, when David finished saying this, Saul asked, Is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. See, Saul knew what had just happened. Saul walked out of that cave doing the do and walked out. And as he hears the, the, the voice of David, he knows exactly that he just missed narrowly death. And David had mercy on him because these two people are fighting. They ain't friends looking for each other playing this game with Marco Polo. No way. They're trying to kill each other. Saul is trying to end David and David's defending himself. And this is the moment where he can do so. This is what it says right here. In verse 17, he says, you are more righteous than I. Saul's talking to David. He said, you have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? No. He says, may the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be the king that, that the kingdom of Israel be established in your hand. Come on, all of a sudden, his oppressor becomes a person that blesses him. Well, what's oppressed you is now blessing you. David is standing in front of the, in the face of the man that tried to kill him and in that moment could have done so. And he looks at him and says, you are a better man than I. You stared your success in the face. You had me in a moment. You could have taken me out. But yet you had, you had favor on me. You didn't kill me. He says, you are a better man than I. As this man is weeping. As this man is crying there from the king of Israel. The one who can order those 3,000 men to apprehend this man and all his 600 and end his life. In that moment, he's so overwhelmed by what David did. He can't help but bless him in the midst of it. Man, I can't help to think that many of us have that same situation. Or you got someone in your life, a boss, a coworker, a family member, whatever that is, that seems to be that oppressor in your life. And all of a sudden, as you begin to say, Lord, I give this to you. Lord, I submit this to you. Humbly, I come before you, Lord. That he'll say, in due time, as it says in 1 Peter 5, 6, if you will humble yourself in the side, Lord, in due season, I will lift you up. As you begin to humble yourself in front of those things, say, Lord, I give this to you. Father, God, I give you that situation, Lord. Man, I got the power to do that, but I give it to you. I submit that to you. Just as David did, your oppressor all of a sudden be the person that begins to bless you. That person that, 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 that had the power to hold you down now will begin to pick you up. That person that, that seemed to be the cause of all your problems will begin to cause all, all of a sudden your promotion, your rise through God, through the favor, the, uh, the grace that is with that undeserving favor of God. In 1955, there was this man named Jonas Salk. See, a lot of times people, people equate humility to passivity. When humility is not that at all, knowing that you have a confidence in God, man, that you know you've got boldness and courage. You don't have to be the one that's all prideful about it. See, there was this man named Jonas Salk. Jonas Salk was an American medical researcher and virologist. 
And Jonas Salk was, he started in Boston, I believe it was the University of Boston, in this small lab. As he got there, they said that he looked at it and was a little disappointed that no one saw anything bigger in him as they put him in this small lab. He says, you know what, I'm going to make the best of it. In that lab, Jonas Salk and his team would, would create a vaccine that would change the American landscape in the 50s. All of my seasoned friends in here probably know what the disease was in the 50s that was wiping people out, and that's the disease of polio. 3,185 kids had died the year before Jonas Salk began to find a cure for this disease, and many, many more were paralyzed from it. Jonas Salk, in that, in that small lab in the University of Boston, began to work with his team on developing a vaccine for polio to see the world eradicated from it. On April 12, 1955, Jonas Salk was able to roll out the vaccine of polio. The world celebrated it. The United States celebrated it. He was a humble man, a man that wasn't looking for the spotlight, was never looking to be celebrated or praised. He was just trying to, to do something great. They began to parade him around on, on late night shows and things like that on the radio and stuff, and it was awesome. And, and the whole time they would ask him, they said, so when are you going to patent this, this vaccine? When are you going to patent it? And he says, I can't patent this. This is owned by the people. He says, the people deserve this. And he, and he, he began to hit him back with this. He says, how can, how can someone patent the son? What he was saying is, hey, look, man, this, this was a gift given to me. How in the world can I begin to profit from this? But they said, Jonas Salk, this thing could be worth billions of dollars. And they estimated it being worth about $7 billion, his vaccine. And he said, how in the world would you not, why would you not patent this? He says, because there's kids in orphanages who would never have access to this vaccine. He says, because there's families who don't make enough money that if I go ahead and patent this thing, they'll never be able to afford it. He says, because kids will die. He says, and I can't have that. From then on, you would say, well, dang, Jonas Salk, you missed out on $7 billion. But let me tell you something. Every bit of research that Jonas Salk did from that moment on was fully funded until his death in 1995. See, Jonas Salk understood the power of humility. Let me tell you something. This was, this was given to me. I acquired this. I put the work behind it. But my gosh, how in the world can I sit there and hold this away from people? How can I keep this back from people? There's four things that I want you guys taking down that humility unlocks when we begin to apply it from, from kingdom humility. The first thing is this right here. As you begin to humble yourself, a key principle is this right here that begins to happen. Is humbleness invokes God's strength. It invokes God's strength. It says right, right here in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. It says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. See, Jesus understood God's strength as he humbly took the cross for us. See, Jesus was marched up the hill of Golgotha, but before that, he was beaten, humiliated, placed a crown of thorns on his head. And Jesus was marched up the hill of Golgotha, carried a cross, took three nails for us, and hung him on that cross. Jesus did all of this knowing full well in the confidence and the power that God's full power would be on display in three days. He would defeat sin, death, and the grave. See, he knew that coming into it, Man, that, that if I would humble myself, oh my gosh, the power of God would rest in it. There was, a, there was a lady I followed on Facebook. It broke my heart so bad. You can research this disease. It's called Dip G. And this disease is a form of cancer. 
And there was this young girl. She was 12 years old, beautiful cheerleader girl. She was, I think, a seventh grader at the time. She was diagnosed with this disease called Dip G, and her parents would post on Facebook, and they started a page four, and people were praying for her all around the world. And as they began to read this, they showed her, and, and you know, her name was Paige, and they said, Paige is diagnosed with Dip G. Please pray for her. And, her. and her mom would always finish with the scripture, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, we are more than conquerors in Christ. She would post these, these verses and all these things with these posts. And as they began to watch the pictures, of this little girl named Paige. As the doctors sent her home, and they said, there's nothing more we can do for her. As this disease was ravishing her body, as she was probably a 110-pound little girl, and she was, she was up near 200 pounds by the end of this thing, as her whole face was bloated. And she's sitting there, and I'm reading this as, as their daughter is dying in their living room, in the place where they would make family memories, in the place where they would come for family movie night, in the place where, where they would have discussion and talk about family vacation, all these things. Her daughter is now lying in a hospital bed, dying. And I would read her post, and she would say, today's a good day. Paige smiled, and she swallowed today. She was in less pain. And she writes about, God is good. Keep praying. And begin to look and say, how in the world, how in the world are you still standing? How in the world have you just not given up complete hope? Because let me tell you something. When you begin to humble yourself and say, God, I don't know what to do in this situation. Lord, I have to give this to you. You invoke God's strength, and it makes no sense. It causes people to look at you and say, oh, my gosh, how in the world are you still standing? When God seems to be so far removed from your situation, you say, no, man, I got the power and the strength of God resting in me to withstand this. I'm still fighting for my family through prayer. I'm still calling my small group to come pray for me. No way, no way, no way I can give that up. The second thing is this right here. It causes, excuse me, it activates God's grace. Humbleness activates God's grace. About three weeks ago, Myrna was driving home here from the church off that, that new road down Lake Ridge. You know, they just rebuilt it. It's beautiful. It goes down around the lake. And Myrna was enjoying the beauty, not paying attention to her speed, and was going about 65 miles an hour into 45, all right? She gets pulled over by an officer who's, who's very nice and says, ma'am, do you know you were speeding? And Myrna says, yes, I know, right? And so she's trying to be all sweet and get out of it. I'm like, yeah, let's see if it works. I was like, dude, just please let it work. She calls me. She says, babe, I did something bad. And I was like, oh, man, what'd you do? And I'm thinking she wrecked the car or lost the kid. And she's like, I did something bad. I was like, what'd you do? She's like, I got a speeding ticket. I said, oh, don't worry about it because I know then I got to extend the grace that I want to see, I want to receive, right? Because about in October, I got two tickets in 28 days from the same cop on the same street, doing the same speed in two different cars. So I knew I had to extend grace. True story. So she gets, she gets to the house, and I look at it, and I'm, I'm reading it. I was like, babe, what were you doing on Joe Wilson? Where were you going? She's like, I wasn't on Joe Wilson. And I was like, oh. they're going to dismiss it. He messed up. They got to throw it out. High five. She's like, no, we can't do that. It's like, what do you mean we can't do that? We have to do that. She's like, no, 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 no. I said, babe, this is about $250 ticket. We have to do this. She's like, no, no. So she gets a phone call. Officer calls her and says, hey, can you please come down so I can eat, reissue you another ticket? I said, Myrna, the cop called you so that you go in and get another ticket. She said, yes. What are you going to do? Did you tell him no? She's like, no, I'm going to go. And I was like, are you kidding? So she goes down there. Hi, my name is Myrna, and I need to get a new ticket. And I was like, what are you, what are you doing? 
So they go, like, oh, okay, cool. Let me see if we can find the officer for you. They come back. Officer's not there. She's like, oh, can you come back again? Like, Myrna, did you tell him no? She's like, no, I told him I'd come back, right? He's like, what are you doing? Who goes to get a ticket? <clears throat> no one goes to the police station to receive a ticket. He's like, hey, I'm here to get. I was speeding. There wasn't a cop around, but I felt guilty about it. Can you please write me a ticket? No, no one does that. I was sitting at a red light about 1 in the morning. No one was coming, and I was getting tired of waiting. I ran it. Can you please give me a ticket? No one does that. Myrna. Right? So I was like, all right. So they send her back a second time. She goes back up there. She knocks. They come to the door. Oh, hi, you again. You want your ticket? She's like, yeah, I need my ticket. Let me see if we can get the officer. Oh, man, officer was just called down on a car wreck. Let's see if we can get a supervisor. Oh, man, supervisor went out there with him too. Sorry, you're going to have to come back again. I was like, Myrna, no more going back. Why you go back for a ticket? She's like, I don't know. I just kind of feel bad. I was like, no, feel good. Don't feel bad. Feel good. He messed up. Lord's delivering you from something. And so, and so I was like, all right, well, you do you then because that, that's on you now. It's coming out of your birthday money. And so I was like, all right. <laughs> Happy birthday, baby. You get to pay Cedar Hill. And so, and so we, get, we, we get back from, from vacation last week, and we're checking the mail. And all of a sudden, there's a little blue card. And I was like, oh, I recognize this. And so and I flip it over. It's from City Cedar Hills. I don't know exactly what this is. I flipped over. It was a warrant. I was like, yeah, it is, Myrna. It was a notice of a warrant. It wasn't a full-fledged warrant yet. I said, Myrna. I, I told the kids, hey, kids, mom's going to jail. They're like, <laughs> I did that. They're like, why? What'd she do? I said, remember when she got pulled over? And they're like, yeah. I was like, mom didn't pay the ticket. Mom, you have to pay them. Myrna's like, I tried twice. And I was like, well, now you got a stinking warrant out for you. So she calls them. I was like, you better not go up there and get another ticket. And so, so she calls him, and she goes to the room, and I hear her, mm-hmm, thank you, thank you, mm-hmm, oh, thank you, thank you, oh, no problem, thank you, thank you. I was like, what are you doing saying thank you? They just charged you extra $100. What are you saying thank you for? She comes out, she's smiling, said, guess what? And I said, what, you, is they going to arrest you? <laughs> so, so what? She said, they dismissed it. And I said, yes, yes. They dismissed it. Had it been me and I wouldn't showed up, they'd probably put me in jail. But her, Myrna showed up twice and was nice about it. Come on, Grace, she humbled herself and said, you know what? That officer made a mistake. He made a mistake. He blew it. You know what? I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to go in. And she went in twice and the Lord saw that and extended grace upon her. And guess what? Now she got a birthday gift because we didn't have to pay a speed ticket. Yeah. By the way, it was Miss Myrna's birthday yesterday in case you didn't know. Number three is this right here. God's grace, or excuse me, uh, our humbleness causes God to promote us. It causes God to promote us. This is what says here in 1 Peter 5, 6. It says, humble yourself therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. As you even humble yourself. How many of you guys ever had that, that heard that saying, you know, you uh, oversell and under deliver? Come on, how many of you guys, ever, if business owners ever hired somebody like that, right? They put all these qualifications on their resume and you get there, it's like, you dumb, right? And so, like, or somebody that got hired in your department is like, how in the world did you get a job here? You stupid, right? And so, like, what is wrong with you? And so I've been that guy. I got hired on at, at a company that did, um, that did data, data center management and, uh, and, and provided servers for people. And, and when I was sitting in the interview, I was like, well, so what do you know about the, uh, the server industry? I said, not a lot. I said, I know that I like the Internet, and I know how to work a computer, and I know the Internet goes through here. And they're like, yeah, okay. And I was like, but I'm really good with people. And they said, all right. They hired me. I was like, I ain't going to work. That, they hired me. 
And in that, I began to learn. I began to learn a system. And from there, I got picked up by another company that did wireless internet service provider. I sat in their, in their interview looking at my resume, and they said, man, you, your sales, you did so well managing your accounts. You, you increased revenue. Man, it was awesome. How much did you know about the industry before that? I said, not a lot at all. I said, I like computers, and I knew there, that I liked the internet, and that was awesome. And so like, all right, well, well, what are your qualifications for this? And I said, honestly, not many. I'm a quick learner, and I'm good with people. And they said, you're hired. And I said, all right. So I began to learn the wireless internet service provider industry. I hated it. It was terrible. But I began to learn it because I like people. And so from there, I got promoted from, from where I was with the company that did servers. I got promoted to be sales director. I was over the entire uh, uh, sales division at this wireless internet service provider company. From there, I moved to a, another company called Nitro Fiber, where we did, we did uh, fiber manufacturing and fiber sales. I sat in that interview, and I said, what do you know about fiber? The only thing I know about fiber is everybody wants it. Everybody wants fiber in their house. Because you can run Hulu, Netflix, you can, you can play Angry Birds, everything, and nothing will buffer and everything runs in HD. And so that's why I, I said, I said that, that's about all I know about fiber. And they said, what do you, about, what do you know about this, uh, this, this TC connector? I don't know nothing about that. What about this one? I, said, oh, no, I don't know nothing about that either. I said, but I'm a quick learner, and I'm really good with people. They hired me. I said, congratulations. You're a customer service manager. I forget what I was. I was like, all right, cool. Uh, relations manager. All I had to do was deal with people. It was awesome. But I got in there. And with each one of those promotions came a different title. And with each one of those different titles came a different skill set. And it got me promoted to the, to the next place that I needed to go. Let me tell you something. I wasn't qualified for any of those positions. Heck no. But you know what? With each difference, ultimately, I got to learn a different piece of the industry. And that, and that equipped me and that set me up for where I would ultimately be. I didn't want to be in the fiber industry. That wasn't what I desired when I was a kid. I didn't draw pictures of fibers. Like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Fiber man. I didn't do that at all. I didn't do that at all. I want to be an astronaut and a race car driver at the same time. Actually, I want to be the man that's floating in space for Tesla right now. That's what I wanted to be. How many of you guys see that guy? They launched a car in space with a man sitting in it. That's what I wanted to do for my life. I was like, and they always told me it won't be possible. It is now. It's 2018, right? And so I was like, what? But, but I, I never wanted to do that. I wanted to be a pastor. I wanted to be a preacher. But guess what? I got to do each one of those things in every spot I was at. More ministry happens outside the four walls of the church than it happens inside. I got to deal with hurting people all the time. I had clients call me late at night because they'd say, how in the world? You just seem to be happy about this whole situation. You seem to be clear-headed and level-headed about all of this. How in the world? I'm just beginning to share Jesus with them. Say, hey, look, dude, man, I, I pray every morning. I read scripture. This is what the scripture today told me today. And I begin to share that with them. Come on, man, when you begin to humble yourself, it's not your job to promote yourself. It's not your job to do that. God begins to promote you. David eventually took over the entire kingdom of Israel. How? Because God did it for him. God promoted him to that spot. The last thing is this right here. Is there's no labor. Your, your, your humbleness equals no labor for his favor. You won't have to work at it. It'll just come easy to you. This is what it says here in Proverbs 10, 22. It says, the blessing of the Lord brings wealth without painful toil for it. Come on, how many of you guys ever come home from work sore from working? It has been me. I've been like, oh, dear Jesus. But I wish I wasn't so sore, a bit hot, like, oh, my gosh. All I want to do is sit down when I get home. Like, I don't want to talk to nobody. That's why I sit down. Scripture says that, man, the blessings of the Lord brings wealth without painful toil for it. As we begin to humble ourselves before the Lord. As we begin to submit all those things to him, we won't have to labor for his favor at all. His favor just begin to be poured out on us. 
My grandfather was a church planner and missionary in South Texas, the Valley area, and northern Mexico. He did that and worked full-time as a rural uh, postman. He would drive and, and deliver mail. My dad would tell me, he said, I'd, I'd ride with grandpa in the back seat, sorting mail to him, and handed it to him. That's what my grandfather did. had 12 kids because they're Hispanic, right? You know, Hispanics have big families, and this was a long time ago, so there's 12 of them. And so, and so my, my grandfather didn't have a lot of money. There's a lot of mouths to feed and all that. And so my grandfather loved to fish. He loved to fish. And they grew up in South Texas. They'd fish Padre Island all the time. I fished all over Laguna Madre, Laguna Vista. I've been all around there. And my grandfather would tell me, mijo, he would look at me. He says, mijo, look at this. He says, we're enjoying this. Isn't this the blessing of the Lord? He had a little trailer right there on the beach. And, and he would say, mijo, look, isn't this the blessing of the Lord? I said, Grandpa, how'd you get this trailer? He said, he said hey, look, you know so-and-so? They gave me the trailer. And then, and then I began to say, hey, look, uh, I ministered to the, to the owner of that little trailer park at a gas station when he's picking up bait. And they said, hey, hey, Ricardo, we got a spot where you can come put your trailer, and we'll give you minimal, minimal payment for it. Just come put it. And we got to enjoy those things. But one of the guys that my grandfather befriended was a guy named Fred Embley. And Fred Embley owned a mink farm. And my grandfather met Fred on the pier one day, and I think it was pretty easy because in South Texas, a lot of winter Texans come, right? So the valley in the, in the summertime is all brown people, and then, and then in the wintertime, all, all the, the white people come down. And so it's easy to identify who's not from the valley, right? And so my grandfather's fishing, and all of a sudden there's a white guy. You know, he's like, I bet you're not from here, right? You know, he's a man of deduction. And so he asked him. He said, hey, what, what are you fishing with? And the guy's like, oh, I just picked up some, some, you know, some frozen uh, you know, shiners up there. And he's like, no, 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 no. You need to fish with, with, with uh, live, live bait. He'd, he'd give them shrimp or he'd give them, he'd give them fish, whatever it was. My grandfather would just talk to people, man. And he would always wear these overalls, and we'd always tease him about it because it says, my name is Jesus, right? It said Jesus, but we'd say, Grandpa, why are you calling yourself Jesus? He's like, no, it's Jesus. You know, you just, we would just pick on him or whatever. But he'd always wear those overalls, and he ended up befriending this guy named Fred Embley. Fred Embley owned that meat farm. And let me tell you something. Every summer, my grandfather never paid to go on a bay fishing trip, a deep sea fishing trip. Man, when he would come down, my grandfather acted like he was 20 years old. They, they, would, they would hang out outside till 2 in the morning fishing and having a good time. He enjoyed all of those things, as it says there in Proverbs 10, 22, without painful toil for it. My grandfather didn't labor for those things. Man, he, he would, we would enjoy a 52-foot yacht. We'd go deep-sea fishing for the weekend. We'd come back, clean it, and guess what? We didn't have to pay the monthly note on it. It was awesome. It was great. And those blessings come from the Lord. You won't have to labor for his favor. It would just be something that rests on you. If you would stand up all across the room this morning as we close out and finish out. That was an awkward clap thing. It was like really strange. <laughs> No, you don't have to clap. That was super, that was super weird. Uh, I think one person was just itching. They weren't even clapping. Now, if you would close your eyes and bow your heads with me all across the room this morning. Man, I want to pray for us. Man, that favor... Excuse me, that, that humbleness would be a staple of our lives. Now that we'd see God's strength activated in our humbleness. Now that we would see His supernatural grace activated in our humbleness. Or that, that it wouldn't make sense all the things that we get to do. 
And as we begin to humble and submit ourselves to the Lord and say, Lord, I trust you with everything. See, trust comes from knowing that he's got you. Scripture says in Romans 8 that we are more than conquerors. In Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, I got a plan to prosper you and not to harm you. One in Matthew chapter 7, it says he's a good father who knows how to give good gifts. Let me tell you something. He's going to take care of you. We just have to get out of the way and let him do it. This morning, if you're sitting here and you say, Pastor Jonathan, yeah, I, I, I try to muscle my way through it. You know, I grew up with the mentality that God only helps people that help themselves. So I'm doing what I can. Let me tell you something. Man, God wants to show himself his grace, his favor in your life. In the moments you feel frustrated, it's because you're putting your hands all over it. I always want you to trust him with that, that situation right now, with that relationship right now, with that boss right now. He's wanting you to say, hey, why don't you lay your pride aside? I want you to give me a shot. Give me some humbleness and let me see what I can do. Let me show you what I can do. Let me prove to you that scripture's right. Let me show you that I'm not intimidated by your doubt and unbelief. Give me a shot. I'm going to pray for us at this morning that, that humbleness would be a key pillar of who we are. Jesus, we love you, Lord, and I thank you for each one of my friends in here. This morning, Lord, I pray, Lord Jesus, that humbleness, Father God, that humbleness before you, Lord, not passivity, but humbleness, Lord, in knowing that you've got us, that you're taking care of us, would be staples and pillars in our lives, Lord Jesus. I pray for those situations, Father God, where they seem to be no end, Lord, where we feel like David and, and the, uh, the armies are chasing after us and that there is no hope. That, Father God, in those moments when we come before you, say, Lord, you take this. Lord, you have that. Lord, I give you that situation. I give you this relationship. In the midst of that, Father God, your favor, your grace will begin to pour out in that. Lord, that we would see your supernatural strength. We'd see your supernatural grace. Lord, we don't have to labor, Lord Jesus, for your blessings. But, Lord, we would just get to live in the fullness of who you are. If you would keep your eyes bowed just for a few more moments. You know, we talked about how God's strength was ultimately shown. Jesus' strength was ultimately shown at the cross. See, grace also covers a multitude of sins. Undeserving of that grace. See, our sin separates us from God. But Jesus came so that we could live and be in relationship with him. And Jesus took that cross and and on that cross paid for everything we would ever do, every sin we would ever commit. And as they buried Jesus in that tomb, and he rested there for three days, defeating sin, death, and the grave, he rose victorious for you. The Bible says that, that if we would just confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is the Son of the living God, then we shall be saved. This morning, I don't want to go any further without giving you an opportunity if you're in here this morning. And you would say, Pastor Jonathan, I've never done what you just said. I've never confessed with my mouth and believed in my heart that Jesus is the Son of the living God. That's all you have to do. And that sometimes in, that, in your life, that, that frustration you feel is that opposition that he's giving you. He's saying, Son, I want all of you. I want all of you 
moment we begin to come in relationship, a right relationship with Jesus, and we unlock that grace. So if there's anybody in here this morning, I want to, man, I want to receive Jesus this morning. I want to receive Jesus this morning. I want to give you an opportunity right where you're at. If you just be honest with yourself and be honest with me, and you say, that's me, Pastor. I just want you to lift your hand right where you are. I'm going to give you just a few minutes. We're not going to be labored a point, but I'm going to give you just an opportunity right where you are. I say, Pastor, that's me. Would you please pray for me? I'm going to see your hands. Five, four, three, two, one. No one lifted their hands this morning, and that's okay. That means that you are in right relationship with Jesus, and that's the best place So as we close out this morning, I want to pray for you. And I want to pray and go forward that you would see the favor of God in your life so evidently. So much so that it gets other people's attention. And that your favor and that your blessings, as the world say, attract the haters. That they begin to attract followers of Jesus to you as you begin to share where your blessings come from. Jesus, I bless each and every one of these people in here this morning. Lord, I pray, Father God, that you begin to grant them the desires of their heart as they begin to humble themselves before you, Father God. As they begin to entrust you, Lord Jesus, in their careers, in the, with their families, Father God, in relationships, Lord Jesus. Father God, even in their hobbies, Lord Jesus, as they begin to submit those things to you and they humbly lay them down at your feet. Lord, I pray, Father God, that they would see the favor, supernatural grace of favor unlocked in their life. Father God, I thank you, Lord Jesus you're blessing each one of these people in here, Father God, with health, vitality, and wealth, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We pray all of these things in your name.